This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This place reminds you of Santa's workshop. Except it smells like mushrooms and everyone looks like they want to hurt me. Live from Joe's mom's basement in Texarkana, Texas, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey there, money nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And on today's show, who's the star? Yeah, I know I am, but you are the star today because we're handling your questions today about saving more money, starting a blog, being recruited by a financial company, the Roth IRA, and much more. Plus, in our headline segment, we're talking Tiger Woods. And that's not all. We'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky caller and leave just enough time for my incredible trivia. Here they are, two guys who are happy to help you kick off your Monday Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. We are in the service industry. That's the biggest service we can do for people, OG. What, help remind them that it's Monday? Well, remind them that it's going to be another great week. It's a great Monday. It's June already, for crying out loud. It's summertime. I know. Welcome to another episode of the Stacky Benjamin Show. You found us, and we are going to bring it for about 60 minutes because we've got your letters today, and I'm so excited that we're able to do that. And guess what? We're also going to tell you about compromise because isn't compromise a horrible thing? Dude, it's definitely my way or the highway. Come on. <laughs> compromise? You know me. Compromise is my middle name. You, you never found a compromise you didn't hate. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> well, because people compromise, right? Because traditionally you've got choices when it comes to online investing tools, either a traditional self-directed brokerage, which offers a lot of customization, but they also hit you with commissions every single trade, or 
For more passive investors, there's this rising trend of automated brokerages that allow you to easily invest in a portfolio they manage for you, but then you hand over all the controls. So it's either clunky and customizable, or you're handing over the keys to the car. You find yourself trusting some black box of software and can't really personalize a portfolio with either of these options. So to me, those are compromises. Either give up simplicity or control or sacrifice control for something easy to manage. Why compromise it all with your money? With M1 Finance, you don't have to do that because they offer a balanced solution like nothing I've ever seen before. Set up a personalized portfolio perfectly tailored to your needs and your own investing goal. And then the portfolio is automatically managed by their automatic advanced technology. The first $1,000 is free. After that, it's only 0.25% for accounts up to $100,000 and 0.15% for accounts over $100,000. So give it a try. Check out M1 Finance today on the web at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance or in the Apple or Android app stores. M1 Finance, be invested. And another way you can help the show, head to Amazon. Dot com using our link, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Amazon. And when you do that, you know what? Amazon sends a little thank you our way because you're helping the show. And how nice is that? That's what friends do for each other, OG. They help each other out. We're helping with this beautiful podcast and our friends are helping us by just a couple more keystrokes when they go to amazon.com, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Amazon. Good stuff. We've got your letters today, but first we've got some amazing headlines, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. More to come of this story, this one from ESPN. Tiger Woods arrested on a DUI charge in Florida, but says alcohol, quote, not involved. Of course, we know now since his headlight came out, OG, that alcohol was not involved. And he said that it was a, an unexpected reaction to prescription medication. That There's was, probably more to that story than just that, too. Right. right. There might be a little Brett Favre situation going on there. I don't know that yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not a joke. He got addicted to painkillers. Oh, uh, yeah. That's not funny then. Yeah. No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't happen to a better guy. Uh, I, don't, I don't Is Brett Favre a bad guy? He played for the Packers, right? I mean, (laughs) wow. Wow. There goes all of our Wisconsin fans right there. You know, when you live, I wanted to bring this up though, because Greg McFarlane on Fridays talks about the cost just of drinking, right? You go out to eat at, at a restaurant and you add a couple drinks to your bill and baby, that bill goes up in a hurry. Is this supposed to be an intervention? Is that where, (laughs) is that where this is headed? We're sitting you down. Because I just I just had this experience the other day. We went to a nice taco joint. They have two or three dollar tacos, and uh, for four adults, apparently the bill was one hundred and twenty bucks. I couldn't figure out why. And then we added up all the margaritas, and and there it was. Yeah, yeah, no, the the cost of alcohol, and even we looked up for this. We looked up the cost of a DUI, and even though this didn't end up being a DUI, you know how much a DUI costs. $20,000 according to... No way, really? According to BAC track. And by the way, it can be more than that. Obviously, you have the cost of the attorney fees. You've got the cost of... Insurance would go up. Yeah. And impounds it, fees, all sorts of stuff. They say that many states now require DUI offenders to install pricey ignition interlock devices, right? Where you got to blow before you... Uh, before you you go in there, the, mm-hmm. the alcohol is expensive and excessive alcohol ama- amazingly 
expensive. Plus, for somebody like Tiger Woods, let's say that this was a DUI. It's not. But let's say that it had been. I mean, what does that do to sponsorships, right? Well, this happened the last time, right? When he had his deal with his wife. He lost four sponsors in the matter of a few hours. And all of a sudden, uh, what was a private incident cost him $50 million or whatever. So it's even more expensive for teens. It can add up to $40,000 in expenses. And think about this. If you're somebody going for a job interview, I mean, the more things are your record is public. You're you're a teenager with a DUI trying to get your mm. first job. I'll be a good piece of delivery person, I promise. Yeah, good luck with that. Boy, tough stuff there. Don't do that. Uber is way cheaper. Agreed. And in our second headline, a new survey from BlackRock found that, listen to this, OG, nearly one-third of investors incorrectly believe that you can't lose money with fixed income investing and revealed other misconceptions. Joining us for BlackRock to discuss it, Karen Shinoni, a fixed income product strategist within BlackRock's Global Fixed Income Group. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for having me, Joe. Let's talk about this because I think, you know, we hear about the teeter-totter when it comes to fixed income investing. And I know from my days as a financial planner, most people think the teeter-totter means stocks go up, bonds go down, (laughs) stocks go down, bonds go up. And that's not true at all. Yeah, I think a lot of people out there just don't know that much about fixed income. I think people just naturally have more knowledge about stocks and they don't really think about the time value of money and how bonds actually can work for them. What's the biggest misconception that you found? I find that people tend to think fixed income is very safe or they tend to abandon fixed income when they think interest rates are going to rise. You kind of have two sides of the coin there where people either don't really think through the risks of that part of the portfolio or they just want to avoid it entirely because they don't understand those risks. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Interest rates and bond prices, how do those correlate? Those have a negative, we like to say they have a negative correlation, meaning that when interest rates go up, bond prices go down and vice versa. And so why is this? Let's just take it back to a simple bond example. If you've got a bond that is worth $100 today and paying a 3% coupon, all of a sudden interest rates go up and now they're at 4%, but you're only getting 3% from that bond. So the present value of that bond will fall to adjust for the fact that you could go out and buy a new bond yielding 4% in the market. So I think that's just the simple bond math that takes place. But I think for any investor with a long-term time horizon, even if interest rates go up, that's actually a good thing for you. Because yeah, you might take a little bit of mark-to-market loss on your bonds today, but you have the ability to reinvest all those cash flows at higher yields going forward. So I think for savers, a little bit higher rates is actually a good thing. Does that mean, though, that bonds for a lot of us are better than in in something like an IRA? Because when I'm reinvesting, that reinvestment's getting taxed every time? That's that's one of the ways you can make your investments more tax efficient because the most bonds will pay off um, a coupon that is going to be treated like ordinary income. Unless you have a municipal bond and that those those are going to be exempt. The coupons that those bonds pay are exempt from federal income tax. So I think it just depends on your tax status, how you think about investing. But you could even utilize short-term bonds in a taxable account if, let's say, you were saving for a medium-term goal and you didn't want to take a lot of risk with them, but you wanted to get a little bit more yield than maybe putting it in a bank CD. So when we look at bonds, how do we evaluate which bonds are right in our portfolio? Because I think a lot of this misconception even goes as far, Karen, as people not knowing the wide breadth of different types of bonds that are out there. 
Yeah, I think people kind of forget what fixed income investments are for. So I would just take a step back and ask, what do you want bonds to do for you? If you want them to really be a hedge against the equity market volatility, I would say stick to investment grade bonds or even government only bonds. Those are going to have a flight to quality whenever the equity markets sell off and they're going to benefit. However, if you're uh, you're approaching retirement and you need more income, then you might want to aim for higher yielding categories like high yield, maybe even some emerging market debt, preferred stocks, things that are going to have more income kicked off for you. So it just depends on if you're younger and maybe have more stock-heavy allocations, you want to stick to the high-quality stuff. But if you're older and you're holding more fixed income anyway, you might be able to take more risk and invest in some higher-yielding bonds. As part of your study, did you look at how people can get more information about bonds and actually start educating themselves (laughs) to not have this huge lack of knowledge that people have now, Karen? Yeah, in the survey, we were just trying to test the knowledge, but I think it really revealed that there's a lot of work that I think us as financial professionals have to do to help educate people. And I think that's the great thing about today is there's so many free resources on the company's websites who offer bond portfolios, bond ETFs. There's just so much research out there that's free to help bring your knowledge level of knowledge up. Awesome. And you've got some of that, I would imagine, right there at BlackRock. That's right. If you go to either BlackRock.com or iShares.com, we have a lot of basics to help improve people's financial literacy, as well as information to help them decide what investment is right for them. Karen Shinoni, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Thanks, Joe. Thanks again to Karen for stopping by. Our guests from BlackRock and iShares lately, just bringing it. Oh, gee, good stuff. Let's Top-notch let's, talent. Yeah, let's wrap this up, though, with some lessons. I think lesson number one, ordering those drinks with your dinner might want to pack uh, two bags of money instead of one next time you hit up a no, restaurant. You just take one of those like sunscreen bottles that are really booze. And you put that in your purse and then you order a Diet Coke, but with only like a half a thing of Diet Coke. Yeah, could you? Yeah, they won't see that coming at all. Could I have a Diet Coke with just half a glass, please? And help me put on this sunscreen, sweetheart. <laughs> like you're the inside of a Chili's in the back corner. What do you need sunscreen for? Well, just, just in case. And our second lesson, fixed income, lots of places to learn about bonds and how they work in your portfolio. But the teeter-totter is not stock and bond prices. Bonds are not necessarily the safe place to go when uh, the stock market's having a bad time and bonds are not all created equal. It's that time time for us to bring out the mailbag. We've got uh, tons of mail. Our first letter comes to us from Jordan says, Hey, Stacky Benjamins, love the show. I have a question on whether to add a taxable account of 34 years old, have 67,000 in my TSP with a 75% C, that's the common stock fund, 15% S, that's the small cap stock fund, and 10% F, that's the fixed allocation in the thrift savings plan. Contributing 5% to get the match. I also have a Roth with Vanguard contributing $400 a month to the total stock market index. Right now, I have $7,500 in it. The problem is, what do I do with all the cash I saved up? It totals about $165,000. Should I take $10,000 and open up a taxable brokerage account? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Jordan. Why do you think? How did he come up with (laughs) $10,000? A couple of things of note. He didn't ask, but... Hey, you write letters, you get answers. Two things. Auspiciously absent from your allocation is international investments. The I fund in the thrift savings yeah, plan. Yeah, in the thrift savings plan. There's no I. Total stock market index in the Roth. 
that's U.S. stocks. So, you know, kind of missing out some allocation there. Why would you dollar cost average $400 a month if you've got 160000 sitting in cash? Why don't you just fund the Roth right now and be done with it? Um, that's what I would do. And if you're going to continue to do $400 a month, why wouldn't you do $458.33? Add another $58.33 to max it out and just be done with that. So a couple of things there. And if you've got 160 grand in cash, why are we only investing 10? Yeah, what's the rest five? for? Maybe there's another reason for that money? Yeah, that all depends on his goal, right? I mean, if his goal, if he's got a one or two year goal, he wants to leave it alone. Um, yeah. And maybe head to magnify money and uh, look for look for his best option there. But then, you know, maybe, maybe takes the 10,000, sends it over to a place like M1. But I don't know what for. I mean, you start with a goal and you work backwards. And I'm not sure, Jordan, what Yeah, if this is retirement is. money, it's invested one way. If it's uh, yeah. college funds for the kids, it's a different way. If it's a house down payment in two years, it's a third way. And I'm still stuck on the, I've got 160 in cash. What, what should I do with 10? I'm like, well, 10, you should leave in cash. The other 150 needs to get invested. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Right. That's the way to but, go. Uh, but the, anyway, so yeah, the next logical step is going to be the brokerage account after you've filled up the other accounts. You know, you might also consider with that amount of money in cash, why not? really jack up your TSP contributions to max that out. Instead of doing 5%. Yeah, instead of doing 5 do whatever it is to get the full 18000 in. Now that's going to affect your cash flow. But if you got 160 sitting in cash, what's, you know, so you got to fund your lifestyle over the next couple of years, maybe a little bit out of your uh, out of your cash reserve. But my gosh, you, you didn't say how much money you make. You didn't say how much money you spend, but it seems like 160 ought to be pretty, pretty good. Maybe you meant 16000 yeah, maybe sixteen thousand five hundred. Take ten thousand and move it. I don't yeah. know. If George, it's sixteen five, then I don't think so either, because then you need sixteen, you know, cash reserves. So yeah, a lot of unknowns there. Uh, I think I think that's about all we can do, uh, George. We need more information. But thanks for the letter, and uh, glad you like the show. Next question comes to us from Daryl. Daryl says he's seriously considering starting his own blog. Are there any courses we recommend that would give him a jump start, or some other resources we recommend? Uh, we have a sister site called For Profit Blogging, Daryl, that our business partner Kathleen runs. And um, I like that. Uh, she has a new book coming out called Blogger's Ed, which also can be helpful. I like the Smart Passive Income podcast. That's where I was going to go, was uh, Pat Flynn and start at day one of his stuff and start reading. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Pat Flynn, good stuff there. However, let's talk about blogging. Oh, gee, you and I started blogging a long time ago now, it seems like, about eight years ago. And, Gosh, has um, it been that long? I think it has been. And that you, is insane. And you know what? Yeah. We kind of sucked at it. Yeah, blogging is hard. Well, one of us sucked at it. Yeah, and it wasn't me. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> just, it wasn't. You're right. Not You're to, right, it wasn't. Not to throw you under the bus, but it wasn't me. No. Well, I always, I always say when I talk to people uh, from the show, I say, you know, we started this blog and neither of us liked to write. One of us was trained to write and it wasn't me and neither of us liked to do it. And we would spend three hours on the phone talking about all the stuff we were going to do to write, but then never write. So then we finally said, you probably said it or I said it. We said, well, you should record this and put this as the blog post yeah. because, you know, our conversations are more exciting than whatever the hell we're going to write about. It was so. also more in our wheelhouse though. I mean, you and I have, you know, they talk about 10,000 hours. You and I have done microphone work before we've talked money on the radio before. So we, we had much, it was something that we were good at. The frustrating thing about blogging that's, is that's debatable. Is it, is it for every one podcast? I heard the statistic. There's something like 10 or 20 blogs for every one podcast. 
So it is a difficult place to do anything more than I think give yourself accountability toward your goals. You know, if you want to bury your soul and have people follow you, uh, I found that the blog posts that were best for me were ones that were more personal. Originally, when you and I started, we thought we were going to be these geniuses giving like these tips about money on the internet. And yeah. don't go anywhere because everybody's doing that. But when we talk personally about stuff like my son mounting our car on the mailbox. Gosh, that was a great story. <laughs> that, was, that, that, kind of, that kind of stuff got a lot of traction. So it's got to be personal. It's got to be, it has to be something specifically about you. And I find that those blog posts then get a little traction. The other thing is you have to make a lot of friends of other bloggers because you have to share their stuff. You have to make sure that you find quality people to surround yourself with, like in any, any job, but, mm -hmm. but you can't just write it and they'll come. You can't, you can't do that. And you have to write it all the time. And yes. And the more you, can you never stop. Yeah. The more you write, you have to be consistent. The more you write, the more people will also come because they know reliable where to find you. So Daryl, good, good luck with that. I'd encourage you not to. <laughs> but, but well, I mean, yes and no, right? If he's got something cool that he wants to share, that's true. Make it happen. Yeah, good send stuff. us a note, and uh, once you get it started, next uh, letter comes to us from Stash Cash. Yes, that's really the name that they sent us. It says, "Hey, Joe and OG, curious about the Mega Backdoor Roth." Okay, one more time. We we got to quit calling it the Backdoor Roth if we're gonna. If, yeah, if we wanted to keep on continuing. Yeah, to if we want to keep that, uh, but curious about the mega backdoor Roth and need some guidance before pulling the trigger. My wife and I both work for a company that allows after-tax 401k contributions as well as in-service distributions of those contributions. Based on my understanding, these are the two magic ingredients needed for the mega backdoor Roth. We both currently max out our pre-tax contributions in addition to an employee stock savings plan that has a 15% discount with a six-month look-back period. Man, there's a lot there that I just said that people listening to the show won't understand. So he can buy stock and he buys it for a 15% discount and they look back the last six months and they see what the lower price is. Generally, it's only on the two days, either the day at the start of that six month period and at the end, days in the middle don't matter, but you got to read your plan documents specifically to see how they actually do the employee stock purchase plan or we call it the ESPP. He says, since there's still money available, I started looking to other options and was pleasantly surprised that the mega backdoor is an option for us. As far as I can tell, we can each contribute up to the $54,000 limit after accounting for pre-tax contributions and company match and should be able to withdraw that into a Roth IRA. How can I ensure the contributions and withdrawal are independent events? And if for any reason they are deemed to not be, what does the reversal look like? I realize I could have some gains that would be taxable as ordinary income, but I'm fine with that. Finally, if there is enough money to get to the limit, would you shift money from the employee stock purchase plan? Thanks for everything you do. Cheers. Man, there's a lot there. So first of all, let's let's define for people this idea that they have to be separate events because that's an important part of putting money into a Roth if you are over the income limit, which is what he's talking about. Right. So what he wants to do here is he's contributing. Let's just take one plan because he said he and his wife and all this other sort of stuff. So what he's saying here is he's contributing the maximum to the 401k. Let's call it 18000 but the maximum that you can put in pre-tax plans is 54000 So his employer is giving him a match, so that's going to count against that fifty-four. but he's got extra money. So how does he uh, save that extra money? A lot of times we just automatically jump to a regular investment account or something like that. So assuming that this is retirement money, 
what he's talking about is putting this in after-tax contributions. So fancy way of saying no tax benefits, right? So he's going to take some number between his 18000 and the 54. Let's say that he's got another 20000 a year that he wants to save. And he's going to take that 20000 a year and put that also into his 401k. But that's going to be coded as no tax benefits. Then at some interval, some people do this every six months. Some people do this once a year. Some people wait a couple of years and do it in one lump sum. He's going to transfer the money from his after-tax contribution account to his Roth IRA at a different place. That's considered the mega backdoor Roth, right? I had to whisper it in case anybody was listening. So what, what effectively just happened? Well, he effectively just put 20 grand into his Roth IRA. Well, yeah, there's going to be some taxes due, maybe. If he put in 20 and it grew to 22 and he transfers all 22 over, well, he's going to have to pay taxes on the $2,000 gain. But that's a small price to pay to now have 20 some odd thousand dollars in a Roth, right? Especially since you weren't able to contribute to it if you make over the income limits. So everything that he talked about sounds sounds fine to me. The The only question that he had was, should I reduce my contributions to my ESPP plan in order to make this happen? And that's just going to be a function of liquidity and what your timeframes are. The ESPP, the stock purchase plan that he's getting the discount on, is a pretty liquid type of account. A lot of times people use that for trips. Sometimes people use it for, you know, this is how I'm paying for a school tuition, you know, just kind of forced savings, quick 15% discount, boom, get the money back out again. If you need that liquidity still, then I would say, no, you're going to, you're not going to take it from there. You're going to have to come up right. with the savings elsewhere. Um, if it's purely retirement money and you go, yeah, I'm not going to touch it for another 30 years. Off you go. Take it from wherever you want. It's nice to be able to save that kind of money. It, it is great to be able to save that kind of money. Thanks for the question, Stash Cash. I like that. Mom didn't like him very much. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Did I tell you that, uh, that at Autumn's graduation from Arkansas, there was a woman who was graduating, and I don't remember exactly the woman's name, but I think it was Alicia, and her last name was Wright, and her middle name was Always and it was Alicia Always Right. It was so such an awesome, hmm. awesome middle name. I loved it. I thought that All was right. I thought that was great. Uh, you know, kids are going across the stage one after another. Kids, yeah. you know, a, a young adults going across the stage one after another. And she came on, and it, you could hear the entire place buzz with that middle name. Next question came to us from Joey. Joey says, "I have a relative who's attempting to recruit me for Transamerica." I'm definitely not going to do it, but could you give an outline of actually what they do, what to be concerned with, why it's a bad idea? I'd like to give some advice on this to the relative, but I'm not sure how to do it. Now, I looked up Transamerica, and my understanding is Transamerica is not a company where they do multi-level marketing stuff. I think what he's talking about is Primerica. Got to mean Primerica, right? It has to be. Because Somebody's trying to recruit you to Transamerica. That sounds like a regular old job and you yeah. might want to consider it. Sounds like a, sounds like a <laughs> job. Ask what the benefits package looks like and the pay rate. And uh, Yeah, unless there's something going on that we don't understand. But he says it appears to be an MLM, which is multi-level marketing financial services scheme. Am I being too harsh? He says, here's some of my questions is the senior quote director of marketing is calling me. The company is is called Turning Point Financial. And we looked at that up. It was pretty obtuse. I couldn't tell who they were affiliated with from that link. Uh, but uh, multi-level marketing, let's let's talk about that in, in Primerica. 
No. That's it. <laughs> uh, that's kind of being too harsh, right? I mean, well, uh, Primerica okay. has... Do you want me to kick it first? Because I'll because because I will kick uh, it. I don't want to. I don't want to rain on somebody's parade. You know, they sell term insurance. Buy term, invest the difference. I'm okay with that. I mean, there are people kind of. There are concepts that are great, but the pricing structure, in my opinion, is horrible. The per- I don't know how much the term insurance costs. the The mutual funds are A shares. You're going to pay a front commission on that, a uh, almost six percent. This really isn't designed for the for the sophisticated investor, I don't think. I mean, I really feel like this is this kind of fair to say targets targets. What always frustrated me people. when I was a financial advisor was when somebody told me that I was competing against Primerica, and I'm like, great. I work maybe sixty sixty five hours a week at this job. I know all the ins and outs of the different regulations. I don't know everything. But I work my butt off all day to be great at this for my client. And you are going to compare me to somebody who has a full-time job doing something else, wants to make a couple bucks on the side, spends maybe a couple hours a week doing it, and you're contemplating hiring them or me. That drove me crazy. And then... When one person said, they're like, well, well, your planning fee is really expensive. The guy at Primerica will do it for free. My I love that. I love flipping that. head about popped off. I love, a, I, I love the does it for free. I question. just thought, so how do you think they get paid? Oh, 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 this, this guy's a good guy. He's a really good guy. Benevolent. He must be financially, completely financially independent because he's giving away intellectual capital 100% for free. Are you kidding me? Everybody in any industry gets paid. And it's important to follow that money trail and find out how they get paid. So uh, that was frustrating. He said in layman's terms, are you held a fiduciary standard, fiduciary standard, if you work for Primerica? The answer is no. Well, that's not true. Starting uh, this week on the 9th, I guess that's this week, right? Is that Friday, I guess, or Wednesday? Um, whatever day the 9th is, I'm not looking at a calendar. Uh, that's when the Department of Labor rule takes effect. And so if you're giving advice on a IRA or retirement plan, you have to hold yourself to that standard. The funny thing is, is I saw an insurance company sent an email out to to a whole bunch of people and I was on the list, but they've got a new form to fill out if you're going to sell some commission products. Of course, in our business, we don't do that. But but if I wanted to, I just had to fill out this form for a client and I can tell you, I should send it to you, Joe. I can tell you exactly how many times anybody would be interested in filling this form out. It says on the front of page one, my investment in this product is blank. My broker will earn blank percent commission, otherwise known as blank dollars this year. And blank percent commission, otherwise known as this dollars in subsequent years, blank through blank. So I can assure you that if I was selling a commission product and I wrote, my investment in this product is $300,000, my broker is going to earn, you know, $18,000 of commissions today and $3,000 a year for the next three years. I'm good with that. Sign here, client. <laughs> I don't know that a lot of clients are going to sign that. <laughs> probably, probably. So I don't know how Primerica is going to respond to that, yeah. right? I mean, if you were investing money in, in an IRA program and you had to, uh, you have to pay the commission, you know, 
Next, you got to disclose it starting this week. So next question: How do Primerica people get paid? Is it commissions, percentage of assets under management, fee base, front end, or back end fees? I don't know the answer, but I'm thinking that it's commissions. I I, I very much think it's commissions as well. Uh, so you'll earn a commission on what you sell. Next is uh, what fees do they charge clients? My understanding historically has been that they don't charge fees for planning. Uh, that could have changed, but that's a great question to ask. What's the highest revenue generating product you guys sell? Is it life insurance and what kind? Primerica is known for term life insurance products. And I think it depends on how much money they put into mutual funds. I mean, it could be they could make a lot more money on a client investing through their mutual funds than they would through the life insurance. Or if it's, you know, somebody who uh, is, is a smoker with a heck of a heck of a, uh, a bunch of pre-existing horrible conditions and they could barely get the insurance. That they likes to skydive and <laughs> drive race cars. Drive race cars. Yeah, they might, they might have a, a cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Might have a ton of money there. So, uh, great questions, by the way, to ask your recruiter or just don't entertain the conversation. I was, you know, yeah. maybe the outcome on this rather than stepping on any family member's toes is just to say, you know what? Thanks for the offer. I really appreciate it. But this, you know, that's just really not for me. I've got a thousand other things I got going on in my life right now. And if it, uh, piques my curiosity, I'll get back to you. Well, and, and here, here, here's the next one that I think sinks the whole, sinks the whole discussion. If uh, Joey asks this, he says, what's your story for a guy like me that thinks low cost Vanguard index funds are the way to go. The research from multiple academic studies that shows the inverse relationship between fees and long-term returns. Game set match. Like the primary dude's like, yeah, I don't think you're a candidate. Yeah. I wouldn't even waste the time. Yeah. You know, you're not interested. So just tell him politely you're not interested to move along. That, that is true. Yeah. You can tell by the tone of his questions. He's really not interested. Yeah. Th- thanks for the question, Joey. Uh, you know what? Mom's making lemonade. And uh, let's take a quick break here and uh, clear out for Doug. Hey everyone, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I gotta tell you, I love these shows where Joe and OG answer your letters. They sure do get a lot of mail, but carrying all those letters to the basement can make a guy's arms tired. Know what I'm saying? Which leads me to today's trivia about the people who deliver letters. That's right, the U.S. Postal Service. Through wind and sleet and snow and hail, the men and women of the United States Postal Service, like our friend Sarah in Portland, Maine. Hey, Sarah! Make sure the mail gets delivered. Which brings us to today's trivia question. How many mail carriers are attacked by dogs each year? Your answer after this. I've talked about this stat before, but this is scary. According to a 2016 Gallup poll, 48% of all Americans don't own any stock. And I realize it can be dawning when it's time to start something new, but here's a great thing. Getting invested is more to do with taking baby steps than leaping headfirst into Wall Street. Here's Brian Barnes, founder of M1 Finance, on just how easy it is to be invested. So you just either log on to the website or use the mobile application. We're native on Android and iOS, and it takes about three minutes, and your first $1,000 that you deposit is managed for free. I'd love to say the free $1,000 is a special deal I made for you, but uh, Brian and M1 Finance are that good to everybody. With M1, you can select from one of dozens of professionally designed portfolio pies, or you can customize it, as mom says, to your heart's content. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 Finance for more. 
That's stackingbenjamins.com. M, the number one, finance.com for more. So just fire up their mobile app, M1 Finance, be invested. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Before we get back to the trivia, I want to give a round of applause to all the mail carriers out there. Yeah! Okay, here was the question. How many mail carriers are attacked by dogs each year? The answer, more than 6,000. That means they're dealing with dog bites multiple times a day. They even have a National Dog Bite Awareness Week every year to try to reduce attacks. Our mailman Larry told me, in fact, that last week he saw a boy with a dog and asked the kid if his dog bit. Kid said no. And then he just bit Larry. I mean, the dog just reached right out and bit Larry, the mail carrier. Larry said, I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. And the kid answers, yeah, he doesn't. But that's not my dog. See ya. I think Doug should keep his day job. I think so. Does Doug have a day job? Do we even know it? If we have no idea if our neighbor has a day job. Hey, let's uh, throw out Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency have been spearheading innovation within the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things that you value most, your family and your time. And that's why they've created a high quality and most importantly, affordable term life insurance policy you can purchase, get this, entirely online. No need to wait several weeks for a decision when you can get one right now from Haven Life. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to learn about life insurance the modern way and to get a free quote. Had a nice uh, shout out to our friends at Haven Life from our friends on Twitter, Apathy Ends. They wrote to me and said, uh, Average Joe Money, I used Haven Life this morning, sat down at my desk at 7.17 a.m. and had a $500,000 policy approved by, get this, 7.28. Impressive. 11 minutes. 11 minutes. To buy life insurance and completely approve. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Today we're throwing out the lifeline to our friend Kara. Say hello, Kara. I am Kara from Northwestern University, and Dan Macklin came and visited our campus this morning, and I mentioned Stacking Benjamins is one of my favorite podcasts. So it was exciting to put the two together. He had great things to say about you, so keep up the good work. Thanks. How about that, huh? Dan, nice. Dan Macklin saying good, and Kara saying good stuff about us at yeah. North at Northwestern, of all places. At Northwestern. That, that's, that, uh, that's a finer university. That's highbrow up there. Yeah, correct. And... Uh, uh, Chicago is such a great town. It is such a great place. Love Chicago. All summer long. A little cold and miserable in the winter, but... I heard it can get windy there. Is that true? No. Nope. Total myth. Not true at all. Nothing Nothing to do with nothing. Thanks for the note, Kara. Hey, if you've got a call to the Haven Lifeline, send that to this spot, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And by the way, the Haven Lifeline, empty empty right now. And whenever I say that, we get a few. And I hope we do because uh, we've got a show to put on on Wednesday. And as of right now, we've got a ton of letters and we've got uh, the empty Haven lifeline. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash voicemail or just head to StackyBenjamins.com and uh, look at the top and click on the questions for the show link and you'll see the Haven lifeline right there. Really easy to leave a message right through your computer like Kara did. Let's get back to it, man. We've got a few more letters. This next one comes to us from Matt. Matt says, first of all, love the show. 
Now, I've heard jokes on the few episodes about both target date funds and, and bond funds being bad investments. Naturally, it's caught my attention as I'm currently invested in a target date fund in my 401k and have a few shares of bond ETFs in my taxable investment account. Now, as a 25-year-old, I haven't been investing for very long, so I was just curious to hear what makes you see these as bad investments, wondering if these are investments I should be changing up or not for my situation. Thanks for the letter, Matt. Now, let's be clear. I don't think that any investment is quote-unquote bad, and definitely big thanks today to Karen Shinone today for coming on the shortwave and teaching us a little bit about how bonds work. We see both of these used, almost like Karen was saying, in in the wrong application and people having the wrong idea of what these things are really doing. Yeah, there's no such thing as a bad investment. There's also no such thing as a good investment. It's all about the application of the tool. A lot of times I'll talk to people and they'll say, here's my portfolio, fix it. And and I always keep coming back to, well, what's the purpose of it? We've got to build a well-rounded financial plan that suggests to us how to, or informs us, I guess, how we want the money to work to make the plan happen. And if you do it that way, then then you put the right tools in the plan and they're right for you. I don't like target date funds because they do the wrong thing, which is they get you too conservative, too close to your goal. Now, arguably, you could look at a target date fund like, let's say, a 2060 fund, and it's going to be pretty much full equity now, meaning almost all stocks. It'll be automatically diversified, so it'll have a mix of big companies and small companies and international and up-and-coming countries and that sort of thing. And if your plan is to just park it there while you accumulate money so that you can design an asset allocation that's more specific to you in the future, that's fine because it'll be fully equity for the next 20 years. The issue that I have with them is that they have this, uh, they say, you say a Joe glide path, which I hate that phrase, by the way. It's just, it's like some people don't like the word moist. (laughs) I don't like the word glide path. It just shivers down my spine. Nails on a chalkboard. The glide path of the portfolio, oh, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit, is such that it makes you very conservative at retirement. And if you look at the expanse of your future retirement and say, I'm going to retire at 65, that day is not the end of your investing life. That's the middle. If you started saving when you were 25 and now you're 65 and you're going to live to be 100, 65 is kind of in the middle. So your money should be invested just like it's in the middle. And now you have to have money that's available tomorrow and you've got to have safe and secure money for the next two years, you know, as part of the overall retirement plan. But you also need money to live on when you're 92. And if you're 65 today, that money ought to be really, really, really long term investments, you know. And so I don't like the fact that that path makes the portfolio become really conservative right at the point when it kind of needs to be most aggressive. Well, here's what I don't like. Maybe I don't, not most aggressive. I don't, still. I don't like the fact that most of these target date funds are built in a way that they're just fees on top of fees. So you'll have... Well, that's kind of part two of this, right? Yeah. You'll have a fund that is a fund from that company and they charge a management fee inside of that fund and they stick that in this target date fund. And then they have a manager that manages the allocation of all these funds that they get paid on already to manage. So fee on top of fee. Target date funds as an industry are fairly expensive. Now, there's exceptions. There are sure. some that there's there's some target date funds that charge very, very low fees. But generally speaking, 
you want to look at that target date fund inside your 401k and see, Matt, what the fee is versus the other funds. And you might be unpleasantly surprised. Yeah. As far as the bond question goes, my belief system is that there's no better place to be than to be the owner of great companies throughout the world. And when you look at the return of fixed income compared to the return of equities, I can't see why you would ever do that. I know that there's a balancing act from a diversification standpoint that you want to uh, be cognizant of. But at the end of the day, you can achieve a great level of diversification by investing across multiple countries and different uh, sectors and, and, and big companies and small companies and so forth without having to limit your upside potential by having a tranche of your portfolio that's guaranteed to be an anchor, especially if this money's long-term money. Matt, you said you're 25. If this money is retirement money that's 40 years from now, I don't, I don't know why you have anything that isn't 40-year money. Like all of the money should be 40-year money right now. And in 38 years from now, you can have two-year money and 40-year money. <laughs> but that's a long time from now. Great stuff. Great question. Thanks for the question, Matt. Let's move on. Our next question comes to us from Rebecca. She says, hi, I'm so confused about HSAs. I know you need a high deductible health plan to qualify for an HSA, but does any health insurance plan with a deductible over 1300 and below the out-of-pocket max of 6550 count as a high deductible health plan? Am I even reading IRS publication 969 correctly? My husband's affordable care plan with a deductible and out-of-pocket max of $7,150 is not a high-deductible health plan? Thanks for the question, Rebecca. And uh, she's right. HSA, especially if you're on your own, can be very confusing. Unfortunately, you have to look at the plan specifically for it to say whether or not it's a high-deductible plan. It, generally speaking, they say that they are high-deductible plans. Just because they have high-deductibles don't make them high deductible plans. Which makes a ton of sense. Absolutely 100%. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give this plan a high deductible and it's not a high deductible plan, but it has high deductible. It doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's all about the type of care and all these other inner workings of stuff that I have neither the time nor inclination (laughs) trying to decipher on my own. So for ours, we just look at it as the plan has to say, high deductible plan, and then we can contribute to an HSA. Um, If it's not, then you can't. Thanks for the question, Rebecca. We have some news here. Another letter. I got this letter from Emma over at uh, Moneyline. If you remember, D from Moneyline was on a couple weeks ago. They're an app that uh, is a pretty comprehensive app, a lot like Mint, with the exception that they also give a little bit of advice. I guess Mint gives a little bit of advice too. This good news out of Moneyline says that they've launched some new features designed to make the financial goals of its 1 million plus users easier to achieve. New features are a streamlined borrowing experience for people that uh, want loans Uh, through the site. They have a simple data-driven advice piece that now pops up based on your individual spending habits and your credit profile And also, they offer a lot of uh, new ways to improve uh, people's credit health because they work directly with uh, TransUnion and Equifax. I always love it when I see innovation from the innovative companies we have on our Friday FinTech segment. So congratulations to Moneylion for the next innovation on their platform. Keep on innovating, innovators. Looking at the time, I think that's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody who sent us a letter. If you have a letter for us, 
we are happy to take it, I'd tell you, please go to the Haven Lifeline, stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Leave us a note that way. And it's like the fast pass line at Disney, you know, where you get to bypass the crowd. But certainly if you want to write me a letter, it's joe at stackybenjamins.com or use the contact form on uh, the website. We go to stackybenjamins, click on question for the show. And just below the Haven Lifeline, you'll see the ability to write us a letter. Thanks to everybody also who's left us a review of this here podcast. Reviews help people understand exactly what they're getting into. And reviews don't have to be long and complicated. They can be short and to the point. As an example, here is a uh, five-star review from Andrew says, tremendous interviews and insights. Longtime listener, Stacky Benjamins, I want to thank you for bringing on fantastic guests who add such a wide range of clear insights to your already helpful podcast. This is just a friendly note thanking Joe and OG and Doug and others for your great work on one of my favorite shows. And as a fan of movies, I'm always glad to hear about what you think of various films. Do we talk about movies? I don't think we talk about movies on the show, do we? I didn't know that. Not very often. Yeah. Uh, but thank you. Thanks for the See, it's a great review uh, going up on Mom's Fridge. Thank you very much. One last thing, if you're looking for financial help in your corner, OG's taking on clients. And here's how you get to him. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash letter O and letter G. StackingBenjamins.com forward slash OG. And uh, that'll take you to his calendar. And you can talk about what it would take to get OG in your corner. That's going to do it for today. Coming up on Wednesday, Jonathan Mordock and Rachel Schneider followed tons of families around the United States and had them track their expenses for a year, track their income, track their expenses, track their cash flow. And they have an amazing new book out called Financial Diaries that goes through some of the stories of these families and the the things that are happening around the United States with family incomes and some of the struggles that people have making money and the way people are addressing those struggles. So authors of Financial Diaries coming up on a Wednesday on the show. Excited for that one, OG. That's going to be a lot of uh, very interesting. I was going to say a lot of fun, but for people who are struggling, it's not a lot of fun. It's going to be very interesting. That's probably a better thing to say. All right. We'll see everybody back here on Wednesday. Go stack some Benjamins. So kids, what did we learn here today? First, here's an obvious one. Drinking and driving while the arrest on your record isn't great and you could kill someone. There's also a financial cost that's way higher than an Uber or just a pillow at a friend's house. Second, Roth IRAs. There are ways for everyone to participate regardless of your income. But let's stop calling them you know what. But the big lesson... Don't tell Joe's mom your hilarious joke about the boy and the dog unless you want to have your ego crushed. The woman has zero sense of humor while monster trucks are on TV. Special thanks to all the listeners that sent in letters. If you are thinking about asking a question but want to jump to the front of the line, try out the Haven Lifeline. You could have an answer in a couple of weeks. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. 
This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special no thanks to our neighbor's evil dog. With all the talk going around about vicious breeds, we need to shed some light on the terror that is Chihuahuas. Story from uh, my local paper, the Texarkana Gazette. And longtime listeners cringe because whenever we talk about the Texarkana Gazette, it's usually something uh, some, something pretty, pretty good. Got it right here. Front page news. I'm not going to tell you what the story's about because it is a, it's a, it's a sad story and it's a, it's a bad story. This guy did some, this guy did some, did some bad stuff. And I really, I really don't want to, don't want to get into uh, what he did. Check out this headline. Jury rejects man's evil twin defense. So this guy gets uh, accused of some really, really bad stuff and apparently has this story that he is an evil twin OG who really did it. Whenever we have a bad show. Don't you feel that uh, it's my fault? That, well, I feel like it's, <laughs> it's nothing to do with an evil twin. It's, it's our evil twins came in and took over the show. You know, hey, that wasn't us. Our evil twins took over. That's why. Don't you get rid of the evil twin thing when you're like, what, nine, maybe seven? Like, you know, the imaginary friend. I've got my evil twin. Who, who would think? I mean, you're sitting, you're sitting in your jail cell and you're like, perfect offense. I've got the perfect offense. I have an evil twin that did it. Totally not me. You got the wrong guy. What if he does have an evil twin? <laughs> Wouldn't that be horrible? That would be. <laughs> that, that would be. There's a movie about that, wasn't there? I just had a flashback for a second. I thought there really was. There was a movie about a magician and there were really two guys. There was, he really did have a twin who stayed outside and nobody knew how this guy did all the magic tricks in the old days. And I think it was Christian Bale who played that part. It was a horrible, it was just a horrible, horrible movie. I don't remember mm. what it was, but uh, yeah, some magician movie. Huh. Yeah, no, yeah. It wasn't that. Yeah. I'm starting to think that. Uh, our- it was the Simpsons episode. I don't know. <laughs> I'm starting to think our evil twins did this after show. So all right. I think you're probably right about that. See everybody next time. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is military appreciation month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees 
are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD, employees, and their families are eligible for Navy federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy federal website, resources like best cities after service to help veterans transition to civilian life and best careers for military spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.